That's great. Hey, happy Father's Day. But I got something here that's really a happy Father's Day. Look at that. Bacon all over it. Now, guys, you should get one of these on Father's Day. And it would be even better if your wife and everybody else doesn't say anything about cholesterol or nothing. Be quiet. Let the man have some bacon. It's Father's Day, right? Father's Day. You can get these in the cafe. And remember, any, any profit made goes right to missions anyhow. So I'm going to give this back. Here, I can give it to Parrish. Parrish already had one, so I can trust him with mine here. Keep that for me. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Good to have you here. Let me read to you something to start out. It's um, true stories by three different kids about them and Dad. First one's from Tyler in Blacklick, Blacklick Ohio. And Tyler, Tyler, um, Tyler says, um, oh, excuse me, Tyler's dad says, let me see your report card, son. Tyler says, I don't have it. His father said, well, why not? He says, because I let my friend borrow it. He wants to really scare his parents. <laughs> or this one, this is from Mark in Glendale, California. Dad, are bugs good to eat? Mark asks. Dad says, let's not talk about things like that at the dinner table, son. I'll talk to you later. So after dinner, Dad asks Mark, now what do you want to talk about, son? Oh, nothing, Dad. Mark responds, there was a bug in your soup, but it's gone now. <laughs> or from Colson in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Colson's at the zoo with his dad, and they're looking at the tigers. And dad starts telling him how powerful and ferocious tigers are and how they've even been known to attack people and eat them. Colson thinks for a minute, and then he says, well, dad, if the tiger gets out, and it ate you up. Then he stopped. And his dad looked at him and said, yes, son. The father trying to console his little boy. Colson went on. Well, if he did get out, Dad, and that happened, which bus should I take home? <laughs> yeah, being a dad has some challenges, doesn't it? We're going to talk about some of those today and hopefully be able to encourage dads and encourage us to be thankful for the dads that we've been given. But in light of that, I really think we need God's help. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, just one short, clear little passage. And I'd like to pray with you about it before we do. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear God, we come before you in the name of Jesus, recognizing that we're here in church to not only worship and praise and give and give thanks, even for our dads, and we thank you for them, but also to learn, to get instructed. There is no perfect dad on this earth, so we all need to learn, and I pray none of us will ever stop. And all of us here are children, even though some of us have our, our dads in heaven, we're, we're children still of our Heavenly Father, and children of maybe some dads that are still here on earth with us that we can maybe encourage them, so show us and instruct us as well. I pray that you'd guide us, Lord, now as we look into the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I get together uh, once a month with a group of younger pastors, some of them 20, 30 years or more younger than me, um, about five of them in my office uh, every month. And uh, Wednesday, this last Wednesday, was one of those days. 
and just meet with them for an hour or two and talk about all kinds of different things, and the pressures and the weight of being a pastor, a father, a husband. And so this week, since it was Father's Day, I said, guys, why don't we all go around and everybody share about their dad? Tell me a little bit about your father. Wow, <laughs> hardly knew what I was getting into. So one guy shares, oh, my dad was faithful, true blue. Man, he was a hard worker. He taught me a work ethic that I'm so thankful for. And, and dad was always there. You could count on him. Like, I, this guy's a big guy. He used to play basketball. He says, I mean, even in college basketball, like, dad never missed a game. He was always there. You could count on dad being there in the stands. I could count on dad when I was a kid. Dad, like, even though he's working hard, made time for me. He says, I had a wonderful, wonderful dad. The other guy, another guy shared, he says, well, my dad was kind of like the opposite of that. You know, my dad was friendly, my dad was nice, he's a wonderful man, very musical, very talented, but I don't, I don't, my, I don't remember my dad ever holding down a job. He'd go from one job to another job, and there's always a reason he couldn't stay there, and something moved him on, and so, you know, I, it wasn't long in life till I learned you really can't count on dad. Thank God for my mom. She's a school teacher. She was always there. Her medical benefits paid for all us kids. He said, uh, but dad, my, my dad, he, he's a nice guy, but you just can't count on him. Another guy shared, he said, well, my parents, they were doing great. My dad was a real hard worker and he made a lot of money. He says, actually, I, I was a pretty wealthy kid. And he said, even though I was the youngest, I, 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 I saw things coming along real easy for me and until mom and dad started having trouble in their marriage and dad started losing things in business and trying to put together a new business and everything just kind of spiraled down from there. Mom and dad ended up divorced. I ended up living with mom, didn't see my dad much at all ever again. And he says, it was horrible. But I remember a couple of years ago being in a car with me, my dad, and my sister. And my dad was sobbing so hard, he could barely get out the words as he's asking me and my sister to forgive him for messing up the family and messing up our lives and all the pain he brought. He says, man, that really helped because I felt like I lost my dad for years and now I was getting him back. He says, actually, I talk to my dad almost every week now. Wow, so every kind of dad imaginable was seemed to be represented in just those five guys. But one thing became abundantly clear as I listened to the stories about each guy and his dad, and it's this. Fathers have authority, and they have authority to encourage a kid or discourage a kid. I put it down as the idea of this sermon because in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul recognizes the very same thing. I put down the idea, a father has the authority to give his kid courage because look with me at Colossians chapter 3 verse 21. He says a lot of things to different people and he says one short statement to the dads, just like a dad would want it, right? He says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Seems as though the Apostle Paul understood a sociological principle. Through all societies that have ever existed on the planet Earth, they're always made up of sm the smallest unit. What's the smallest unit? Families. A man, a woman, and children. Now, these families differ from culture to culture and time period to time period, but it seems always, even though there are differences, the one similarity is the dad's the boss, the dad's the authority. 
even if he's not there half the time, like in Indian tribes where he's gone hunting all the time or whatever, still the father seems to be the authority. And fathers have been given authority by God to be able to either encourage their children or discourage them. So Paul says one thing to the, to the, to the fathers. Fathers, you got to be careful with that authority that's been given you, not discourage your children. Don't provoke them. I thought it would be good today to just kind of take this apart. Look closer at what this passage is saying. This, this admonition is loaded with meaning. And I'm hoping we can dive into it a little bit today and take it apart. So what I'd like to do is take a closer look at it with you. Look at the first point. The first point of your outline reads like this. Fathers, you give your kids courage by taking on the role of fatherhood. Starts out with the word fathers here. And let's just stop right there because that's loaded right there. He seems to be suggesting that dads, you can do this. There's no doubt in his mind that God says that the best guy for the job is the father. Everyone who becomes a father has been given by God a position of authority, whether they take it or not, accept it or reject it. They have the ability to be an encouragement to that child that they just impregnated into a woman. Whether the father's young, inexperienced, or older, and with all kinds of experience, he can either accept this role or avoid this role. He can either do a good job by using it or he can abuse it. But everyone has been given, who, every father has been given that role by God of being a father. The big question is, what are you going to do with it? It's up to you. It's a responsibility. And so he says, fathers, take it on. This is your chance. This, this is your role. My own father was a good father. Exceptionally good father. I could relate to that guy who said his dad could be counted on. My dad very much could be counted on. However, my father didn't have a father like that. See, my, my father was two years old when his mother died during the big tuberculosis epidemic that swept across the United States in the 1920s. After that, him and his dad were not around each other that much because dad was out working. Dad was finding another wife, found another one, and then she passed away a few years later. Then he found another one. And dad was shipped off with his brother to be raised by his grandparents. And I thank God for the heritage change when a kid down the street came and witnessed to my dad and told him about Jesus and brought my dad to church into a youth group that dramatically changed my dad's attitudes, his values, his core, his very life uh, message was changed by his relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thank God because I don't believe my dad would have been a very good dad, probably just like his own dad. And who knows what kind of dad I would have been. But thank God for that change. You see, to really be a good father, you need to recognize you have a heavenly father. Because God can give you the strength to be the kind of man of integrity, the kind of man of honesty, the kind of man of truthfulness, the kind of man that can be counted on as a father that brings encouragement to a kid only by the grace of God in your life to be able to see life truthfully and honestly and see yourself for who you really are. So the first thing that Paul says here is just this word fathers, which reminds us how significant it is to be a good dad. 
Fathers, let me just say this. God gave you the role of fatherhood. And you'll never be perfect. There's never been a perfect father on this earth. Your kids don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be their dad. You see, when you take on the role of fatherhood, whether you say anything or not, the kid thinks, oh, I'm, I must be worth it. But when you reject it or you avoid the role of fatherhood, your kid thinks, I guess I'm not worth it. I guess I'm just not that important. Right away, by your accepting it or you avoiding it, you've made a statement to a kid that's either going to discourage him or encourage him. So I challenge you, dads, accept the God-given role you have of being a father and embrace it. Don't avoid it. Yeah, it's going to take sacrifice. Yeah, it's going to take commitment. But boy, you're going to make an impact just by your being willing to be. Like I said, a kid just needs to know that you want to be their dad, even if you mess up, even if you've made mistakes, because that means they're worth it. It's almost like you're saying, I believe in you. What could be more important for you? All of us here are kids, right? If, whether our dad's still alive or not. To think that your dad believes in you and he's willing to make commitments, wow, that's huge in a kid's life. And when you talk about encouragement or discouragement, that's a big deal. I was reading a book some years ago. In fact, I promoted this book big time in church, if you remember, a couple years ago. Sold about 200 of these in church for people because they ever wanted everybody to have this book it's by Paul Miller. He's a guy that lives just over the river in Pennsylvania, and he writes a book about called A Praying Life. Really, really good book. Probably the best book I've ever read on prayer. And in here, Paul Miller talks about his struggle in being a dad, especially to one of his kids named Kim, uh, a special needs daughter. And how difficult that was. And that's, that's the kind of the dynamic of this book. The guy's so real. He didn't give you just some formula of prayer. He tells you how to pray in the life struggles, like especially of being a dad. And he says there's one thing that really is the enemy of being a father. He says it's called cynicism. It's really easy as a dad to get cynical, to lose hope. He put it like this. Cynicism kills hope. The world of the cynic is fixed and immovable. The cynic believes we're swept along by forces greater than we are. So what the heck? Why even try, right? Dreaming feels like so much foolishness. Risk becomes intolerable. Prayer feels pointless, as if we're talking to the wind. Why set ourselves up for failure? Why set God up for failure? Pretty depressing, isn't it? A lot of dads feel that way. Many of us believe in the Christian hope of ultimate redemption, but we breathe the cynical spirit of our age and miss the heart of God. This was brought home to me when I discovered from a widow that her husband's philosophy of life went like this, expect nothing. Then if something good happens, be thankful. How many dads live by that? Well, he had been a dear friend of mine, this guy with that philosophy, and even a godly counselor to me. But I was so surprised 
by the statement of his wife that I blurted out to him this to her this confused <laughs> mix of Romans 15 and Hebrews 13 which and I said Sue that sounds so different from what the Bible says when it says may the God of hope who brought you again from the dead or brought, brought from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope do you catch that hope 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 dad if you're going to be any kind of an encourager, you have to have hope, and you have to have your hope fixed. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared that illustration a couple months ago of the, a rope tied with an anchor to the cross to show you got to anchor your hope. Hope is like an anchor fixed in the Lord. Best thing you could do for your kid is get your hope fixed in the Lord. Otherwise, you're probably going to end up being kind of a cynic, kind of a negative guy, not much of an encourager to your kid. You got to get your hope fixed, fixed on the Lord, so that you can pass on a hopeful life to your kids, a hopeful expectation. This is going to carry them a long way in life. But you got to be that kind of hopeful person. Reject cynicism. Be a dad. Point two. Fathers, give your kids courage by not provoking them. That's what it says here. Fathers, do not provoke your children. It's interesting because in this passage, he says almost the same thing he says back in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? Actually, it's very different. What's interesting is the word provoke. Did you know the word provoke in the Ephesians passage is different than the word in the Greek for the word provoke in Colossians? Let me explain. In Ephesians, do not provoke to anger. That word's only used when you're trying to get someone ticked off, when you're getting someone mad. He's talking about your kids. Whereas the one in Colossians is a word provoke, which is a more general word, which is even used in 2 Corinthians 9 to say, stir somebody up or provoke them to good works. So it can be used positively. It's a very general word. Well, why does he say don't provoke to anger in one passage, but just don't provoke in another one, and that one could even be positive? Could he be trying to say in this Colossians passage, don't provoke in any way? Because sometimes it's true. Fathers provoke their kids and they're totally unaware they even did it, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. Well, if that be true, what would be the kind of ways a father provokes his kid to discouragement? Well, I listed a few for you, and there's a lot more probably than what I have listed here. Here's the number one thing I thought of, being withdrawn. Yeah, fathers sometimes can be so busy watching a ball game, reading a newspaper, being on the computer, talking to somebody, having their own life, working, whatever, that the kid feels like he's a nuisance. He's not there. He's not important. He's not worthy of his dad's time. Yeah, being unavailable, aloof, can be a really bad thing for a dad because it communicates discouragement to a kid. I remember when I was growing up, I had a neighbor friend, his name was Tony, and Tony had um, a dad who was always aloof, always seemed to be withdrawn. 
See, his dad was an executive, made a lot of money. Tony lived in a big house. Tony had a lot of privileges, but he didn't have much of a dad, see, because his dad would come home. And I remember sometimes being out with Tony, and there'd be a light on in his dad's office. Say, what's your dad doing in his office? Oh, dad's working on his stamp collection. His dad had this elaborate stamp collection. This is like in the 1960s. Elaborate stamp collection, and he would just come home from work, and then he'd focus on the stamp collection. I don't remember Tony ever playing ball with his dad, or ever going fishing with his dad, or ever going to play golf, or nothing, ever. Except if he's in trouble, <laughs> he had to deal with his dad. So Tony loved to come to my house. So my dad would take us fishing. My dad would talk to us while he's working in the garden. Dad, dad was there. Dad would help us get the go-kart started. Dad would help, you know. Sometimes Tony would come to my house, even when I wasn't there, he'd talk to my dad, like, because Tony's dad was kind of discouraging. He was avoiding being a dad. He was unavailable, withdrawn. That's one way you can be a big discouragement to your kid. You can provoke them that way. There's a second way I thought of, and the second way is this, by acting in pride. Yeah, I don't mean just boasting. I don't mean just kind of a blowhard kind of a dad. Yeah, that's bad enough. But you know one of the worst things you could do for your kid, and this might sound funny to you, but teaching them self-confidence is a very bad thing. I'm sure a lot of dads would say, I disagree with you, Marty. Like, well, I'm sorry. I've seen too many kids with self-confidence have ex explode on them because self will let you down 100% of the time. The smart dad will give his kid God confidence because God confidence will never leave you. God confidence will never forsake you. We just saying about God will never let you down. He'll never leave you. Giving your kid a lack of self-confidence but a whole bunch of God confidence makes him a courageous kid makes him stronger than most of the kids out there, because self-confidence will let you down. I get grieved when I watch these TV competition shows, and I, I just believe in yourself. It's like, what a bunch of… It's not true. It doesn't work. It'll let you down. You want a courageous kid? He's the one who says, God gets me through. God will give me the strength. I'm not afraid of anything, or anybody, or any human even. I got the Lord. That would be a strong kid. That's what I mean by pride. Careful of this one. It's really important. You could lead your kid to discouragement thinking you're building his self-confidence. Thirdly, not hoping in God. The best thing a person could do to bring hope into someone else's life is to have hope in your life and your hope is fixed on God. You know, I'm 64 years old. I've been a pastor for 37 years almost, and one of the most dangerous parents is a parent that's a hypocrite. At church, he's one way. At home, he's another. He says he's hoping in God, but really he hopes in money. He says he hopes in God, but really what he's hoping in is his gifts, his talents, his abilities, his skill. A kid can see it a mile away. And by the time the kid's 12 years old, he's already got it all figured out. Ah, uh, that's just what you got to do when you go to church. Just what you got to do to look good in front of people. Here's the real. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's horrible. I wish dads like that would just be honest. Be truthful. 
You know, like I said, I had a good dad. My dad wasn't perfect. My dad was just a factory worker. He wasn't even that smart. But one thing you could know for sure, dad's faithfully true blue hoping in God and God alone. Wow, that gives you confidence. Wow, he's not a hypocrite. Yeah, he, we went to church, brought to church. You can tell sometimes he'd taken me to church and he's going to church even when he didn't feel like it. He didn't care. He wanted to honor God. He felt that was faithfulness. That's powerful, folks. That builds courage into a kid. Hypocrisy doesn't work. Fourthly, disciplining a kid impulsively or inconsistently or erratically or in anger can really discourage a kid. And a lot of us dads are guilty of doing that before. You're just angry, the pressures at work, the pressures at the home, the pressures in your own psyche get to you and the kids are just in irritation and they can tell. And so you just lash out and you say something you regret. There's nothing wrong with asking your kid to forgive you for doing something, saying something that was stupid. Tell them that. Because one of the worst things you could do to damage a kid or cause them discouragement in the future is to just be inconsistent. You know what happens to a kid when you're inconsistent like that or erratic in your discipline is they get fed up and they just start thinking, I can't please them. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. Dad's just mad. How many kids have I heard say that? They, they gave up on dad. And they tend to think God's similar, like, oh, forget about it. I don't even going to try. It's very discouraging. I'm reminded of James chapter 1 where James says, let everyone then be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Yeah, that's what you need, Dad. You're quick to hear. You want to listen. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Oh, that would be a good way to be disciplined, a good way to be even reprimanded or corrected if a kid needs that. Because his dad's actually listening. That leads me to the last one focusing on behavior, not the heart. When a dad just focuses on some kid's behavior, and now, don't do that, why? Because I told you not to, kind of, or whatever it be, you know. You're just looking at behavior instead of actually going to their heart, seeing, being quick to hear, a, a slow to speak. You want to hear what they're really doing, why they really said what they said or did what they did, and then slow to anger, but yeah, there might be a need for anger. Got a good example of this one. It was my father-in-law. He was a really good dad. He had five kids. My wife's the oldest of five. And um, he had three boys and then another girl. Well, he, did, he was an intentional dad. Spent time with his boys, played ball with them, taught them a lot of different things. He was a coach even. And um, one time, though, he, he comes home from work, and um, my mother-in-law pulls out a pack of cigarettes and said, here. I found these in Tim's coat pocket. Ooh. Well, like I said, my father had spent time with Tim. Tim's like 15 years old, and Tim had made it clear, oh, Dad, I feel like the Lord's calling me to be a missionary. <laughs> and so he finds this pack of cigarettes in his coat, and you know, if you took the cigarettes to the kid, what would your kid say? Oh, those aren't mine. Those are Johnny's. And he just, you know, I picked one. Yeah, right. That's what he... I mean, what kid wouldn't say that, right? He'd lie right to you. So he goes, well, why give him the chance? Why even do that? So as Lori's dad thought about it, he called Tim in. He said, hey, Tim, we got to talk a minute. Oh, okay, Dad. He sits down. Lori's dad pulls the cigarettes out and puts them in. He says, hey, Mom found those in your coat pocket. Oh, Dad, you know, those aren't me. He goes, hey, 
I'm, I'm assuming that you're smoking or hanging around with kids who are smoking and getting into a lifestyle. He says, the problem is this, Tim. You told me last year you want to someday become, I don't know any missionaries to smoke. Honest to God, I don't. And it's like, you're going a different direction here. Now, in a couple more years, you're going to be an adult. You're on your own. You can do whatever you want. I'll just be supporting you, right? I'll be helping you, encouraging you. I just feel like we've taken a left turn here. I want to know which way to go. Which way are you going in life, man? I want to be there for you. Well, the kid sure didn't expect that. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Going to the heart, not just the behavior. And Tim started to cry. <laughs> well, long story short, today Tim is married with three sons of his own. He's been a missionary in Brazil for 25 years, and he's now a pastor in a church in, in Minnesota. He had a really good dad. But his dad wasn't just shepherding his mind or his behavior, but his heart. He was going deeper, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's a good dad, a dad that brings encouragement, not discouragement. Thirdly, fathers, you give your kids courage by giving them hope. Look at the last part. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What's interesting is that word discourage. Encourage is a compound word. In and courage. A father can put courage in his son, in his daughter. Discourage is the opposite. A father can take courage out of his son or out of his daughter. Isn't that interesting? It's assuming that a father, like I said, has such authority over a person's life that he can either put courage in him or take courage out of them. Whew, that's heavy. That's really heavy. That's the kind of authority God has given a man in the role of fatherhood. And right here, he's challenging us to make kids that are hopeful, happy, expectant, confident, courageous. Let me read to you a story. It's about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the great leader in World War II that went against the Nazis and the Germans as they tried to invade Europe and England. He was used in a powerful way, but he didn't have such a great dad. There was someone else that came in his life that kind of replaced what his dad should have been. I'll explain. By all outward appearances, when he was growing up, Winston Churchill had everything a boy could ever want. He had wealth. He had privileges. He had servants. <laughs> he had education. And all that accompanies an aristocratic status. He was kind of like being a Kennedy or a Bush in America. However, under the surface, there was a hollow cavity. Servants and orderlies raised him. One of those was his nanny named Elizabeth Ann Everett. I remember reading a biography about Winston Churchill. And this, this little nanny he had played a role in his life where she would teach him the Bible, teach him Old Testament stories, teach him scriptures. And when you read some of his writings and some of the things he said in World War II, he relied more on what his nanny told him than anything his father ever told him. This article goes on. In the earliest possible age, he was sent off to boarding school. His interaction with his world-famous father, Lord Randolph Churchill, was sporadic at best. It's reported that he never even ate with his parents until he was a teenager, and then only rarely. 
totally raised by other people. As a young man, Winston was thrilled when he was accepted into Sandhurst Military College. Although a public school and not the same as his dad's prestigious school and his alma mater, the private Calvary, excuse me, cavalry school known as the 60th Rifles. It was nonetheless prestigious that he had gotten into Sandhurst and quite an honorable accomplishment for this young, Wils uh, young uh, Winston. He eagerly awaited his father's favor in a letter that his father wrote to him. On hearing the news, Lord Randolph sent his son the following letter, Dear Winston, you should be ashamed of yourself for your slovenly, happy-go-lucky, harem-scarum style of work. Never have I received a really good report of your conduct from any headmaster or tutor. Always behind in incessant complaints of a total want of application to your work. You have failed to get into the 60th Rifles, my famous alma mater, the finest regiment in the army, and you have imposed on me an extra, uh, an extra charge of 200 pounds a year. Do not think that I'm going to take the trouble of writing you long letters after every failure you commit and undergo. I no longer attach the slightest weight to anything that you may say. If you cannot prevent yourself from leading the idle, useless, unprofitable life you have had during your school, year, school days, you will become a mere social wastrel one of the hundreds of public school failures, and you will degenerate into a shabby, unhappy, and futile existence. You will have to bear all the blame for such behavior yourself for your own misfortunes. By the way, your mother sends her love. <laughs> I've read that, and it almost makes you cry. I mean, you have to laugh because it's like so ridiculous. What kind of an idiot would send his son a letter like that? An idiot named Lord Randolph Churchill, a very prestigious and important person in England, who was a horrible dad. You can be very accomplished, very important, and totally stink at being a dad. You really can't, because you don't get it. You have an authority position over that child, and what that child becomes says a whole lot about you and your investment or lack of. I read this to you under this point because a child needs to have hope. And when his dad believes in him or his dad's willing to invest in him, it says a whole lot to him about his hope in his future. Now, Winston Churchill got his hope from a nanny because he never got it from his dad. The only kind of letter he got were letters like this. Seriously, it's true. I read a biography about it. How sad. She's, he's literally setting his son up for failure. And if it wasn't for that God-sent nanny that taught him the Bible, showed him he had a heavenly father, helped him understand the stories about Moses and his leadership, he never would have been the leader he was during World War II. Dad, someday you're going to lay in your deathbed. And you're not going to wonder, gosh, I wish I'd have watched more TV. I wish I'd have worked more hours at the job. You're going to say, man, I should have, I wish I would have, with my kid, with my wife, 
you understand life's about relationships? And you've been given the chance as a father to invest heavily in someone you've been given authority over, and they're going to listen to you, even if they say they're not. You're, you're valuing them, gives them value in themselves. Your appreciation of them helps them appreciate you. So, this week, I'm asking the guys to share about their dads, and each one of these young pastors is telling a story about their father. It became abundantly clear to me, each one of them still had their father alive. I was the only guy in the room that had a dead father. My father died when I was 30, younger than all those guys. So I said, guys, let me tell you a story. I told him about my dad dying. I said, you know, I was 30 years old. I'd been the pastor of this church for two years, meeting in my house. My dad had been here twice. I got a phone call from mom. Your dad's dead. What? Dad's great. He's strong. He's healthy. He's 61 years old. He's in great shape. Doesn't smoke. Doesn't drink. The guy's exercise. I mean, he's phenomenal. He could climb a mountain right now. He's dead. What do you mean? Well, he had a brain tumor. We never knew. He's gone. And immediately I'm thinking, wait a minute. I, I never had a chance to say goodbye. My heart is broken. You could have you hit me with a brick and it would have hurt less. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And then immediately it came to me. Ten years previous. Ten years. Almost to the day. I was 20 years old. I'd been a Christian two years. Heard this speaker speaking. And he's saying, you know, if you really wronged somebody in the past, you might need to go get right with them. Ask their forgiveness. I thought of a couple old girlfriends, a couple different people that, you know, because I was quite a rascal in high school. Got kicked out of school a few times. Stuff like, and then I thought about my dad. Well, I remember going and getting right with my sister. I remember going and getting right with a couple of people, a couple of girlfriends, stuff like that. And I kept putting off this idea of going to my dad because, you know, well, dad's okay. You know, dad's seen my life turn around. It, it's good. It's good. You know, everything's fine. I don't need to do that because I was scared to do it. Any of you been like that? Why is it? I guess it's this authority thing, right? It's really hard to go to your dad. He just, it's just, I don't know. Here I was 30 years old. I mean, I'm a man, a man to man. I'm thinking, I, hard, I was hard to talk to dad, but when I was 20, I was in my bedroom one night at dad's house, of course, that's where I lived, and I came under such conviction of somebody I need to go get right with, I had to go get right with my dad. So, I walk down the hallway to dad's bedroom. I stand in the doorway. Dad's laying in bed already in his underwear. Mom's over at the mirror fixing her hair to go to bed. Get the scene? I'm there, 20 years old. He can tell I'm nervous. I'm like almost shaken. I've got to say something to my dad. We don't need you to talk on that level, but I'm going to do it. Because I feel God wants me to do it. I feel I need to do it. So I, I choke out the words, Dad, I really got, get, want to talk to you about something. You know, back in high school, a couple times I got kicked out to all these things, you know, and I'm basically saying, you know, you didn't deserve a kid like me because I was not a good kid. My older brother, yeah, you deserved him. He's a good boy, not me. So I'm trying to say these things as good as I can. I'm nervous. Mom doesn't know what to think of what I'm saying. She's over at the mirror, and Dad's listening. 
And I finally say, would you forgive me for all the wrongs I committed against you, the lies I told, etc.? Big smile comes on his face. He throws off the covers, steps out in his underwear, comes over, <laughs> looks me in the eye and says, oh, yeah, I forgive you, Mart. I love you. I said, I love you too, Dad, and I hug him, and I'm thinking in my mind when I'm 30 years old and I get that phone call, that was my goodbye. That was the one and only time me and my dad talked man to man, and I told him how much I appreciated him and that I loved him, and he told me he loved me. Like, wow, I didn't know that 10 years later, boom, he'd be gone. I'd never get a chance. So I told these five guys Wednesday the same story. I said, guys, your dad's still alive. You got a chance. You still got a chance. And maybe you're here in this room right now. You still got a chance to tell your dad, I love you, dad. Thanks for, thanks for being there for me. Thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for working so hard. Thanks for taking care of me. Thanks for whatever. But you still got a chance. So I challenged those young men Wednesday, and I challenge you now. Take Father's Day for what it's supposed to be, a chance to honor your father. And maybe you need to get up the courage and the guts, and I'll pray for you right now, that you go talk to him today. You won't regret it. He needs to hear it. Somebody just told me in the back room before I came out here, someone in the choir, and they stopped me, and they said, you know, I started doing that for about 10 years. One time, I, can't, I felt I needed so I wrote a note to my dad. He says, my dad came to me and said, wow, thanks, man. So I thought, you know, I'm going to write a note every year to my dad. He says, when my dad died, I opened his top drawer of his dresser. Here's all my notes that he had read that were important enough for him to keep every one of them. Who knows what could happen for your dad if you could just encourage him a little bit. Hopefully help him be an even better dad. So today, I'm going to pray a prayer right now about the only thing I can do for you. And ask God to give you the strength as a father to really step up and be the dad. You know you could be. God says you should be. And secondly, if you're a kid like the rest of us, if your dad's still here, you got a chance to say something to him. If he's gone, thank God for him. But why don't we all stand and pray? As you get on your feet, bow your head before God and say, Dear God, in your heart, say it with me. Dear God, my heavenly Father, thank you for being my Father. Thank you for filling in the gaps where my dad didn't do it right. Give me the grace to forgive my dad. And dad, I'm sure you failed. You know it, just like me. Why don't you say, Dear God, please forgive me for the ways I've avoided it, not stepped up into it. I've disciplined wrongly. I've discouraged my kids sometimes. I really have. Give me the grace to forgive myself and to be forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. Then, let's do this. Dear God, help me go talk to my dad today and say what I need to say. Show me the words. Give me the attitude. Help me tell my dad I appreciate and love him. Whether you're a man or you're a woman, whether you're a little girl or a little boy, telling your dad, encouraging your dad, is what Father's Day is all about. Tell him. 
You won't regret it. Tell him. You don't know. You may, he may not even be here next year. Tell him. And dad, you tell that son, you tell that daughter how much you love them and care for them and you want to be there for them. Maybe you need to even ask their forgiveness. I don't know. But may God give us all the grace, all us dads, the grace to be the fathers he's called us to be. And give us his children the grace to be able to encourage our fathers today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Let Dad have some bacon. Go get it at the <laughs> cafe. Happy Father's Day. Hey, hi, hi, happy.